Canuck Central in the Kintec studio on the road. Yes, we've taken it on the road today. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Canuck Central on the road at the Abbotsford Center, the site of the Canucks and the Edmonton Oilers tonight. Uh, guess what just happened? What happened? We just got offered some free food. Oh, buddy. I'm so excited. See, this is why I hang out with Sat. You know, I know, I know at some point it's, uh, it's going to bring good things. Thank me later, Dan. Here I am working, and Sat's like in the background just working these side food deals. Ah, uh, shouts to Panago. <laughs> uh, all right, we're getting some Panago pizza. Love it. You know yeah. how excited I am right now. Canuck Central is brought to you by Grip Auto Entire. Quality service you can trust in 14 locations to serve you. Kevin Woodley uh, set to join us in a moment. Uh, but Peter wants uh, to know who has been some of the best waiver pickups in Canucks history or even league-wide who have been great pickups in years past. Well, Kyle Wellwood was probably the most uh, successful one recent. We picked up waivers by the Leafs. For the Canucks. For the, for the Canucks. And he had a decent year. You know, yep. he was a man possessed for a game, like Olivia Neal said. But, I mean, he wasn't great. But maybe this last one I'd say, you know, that actually gave you something tangible, you yep. know? Because um, he played for the Canucks for two years. And one year had 18 goals, 27 points. The next year had 14 goals, 25 points. I mean, nothing huge, but he gave you a little something. Levo wasn't a waiver wire pickup, right? They uh, traded uh, Michael Carcone for him. Yeah, they traded him. Car- he was probably going to hit waivers, and they made the trade for him. The Canucks traded for uh, Derek Pouliot when he was going to hit waivers, yep. too. So they've essentially made trades for guys who were going to hit t- waivers to jump the queue and get those guys. Jimmy VC was uh, the He was a waiver pickup. Yeah, in, in, the, in the North Division year. Well, funny thing. Boyd was also, yes, up, and he's ended up being a really good player for the Arizona uh, Coyotes. The Coyotes. So he wasn't successful here, but the next year he had a lot of success in Arizona. So um, there have been guys. I mean, but if you go through league history, yeah, there's been some really good ones too. Uh, I believe we have our next guest on the line. It is uh, Kevin Woodley joining us. He joins us every Wednesday in Goal Magazine and NHL.com. What's happening, Woodley? All right, we don't have Kevin Woodley yet. Well, speaking of goalies on waivers, Ilya Brzgalov, when he was good, remember Arizona couldn't keep him? Yep. He was a good waiver pickup. And uh, Chris Osgood hit waivers at one point. Islanders picked him up. Oh. Chris Osgood on the Islanders. I, I, I do remember that to, to some level. Not very much. Ilya Brzgalov had such an interesting career, like such ups and and downs. But as a waiver wire pickup, uh, not, not bad to get a goalie. Uh, that played as well as he did after being a waiver wire pickup. Uh, let's bring in our next guest. It is Kevin Woodley. We have him now set up in Goal Magazine, NHL.com. What's happening, Woodley? Not much. How are you guys doing? You're on your way out to Ab- Are you guys on location in Abbotsford? Uh, we are already on the concourse. Sat's already been offered food, uh, so uh, we're, we're having a good time so far. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> and smart play going out early, because like, i got to be honest with you. Anybody, like, warning, as somebody who's covered games out there, if you are headed to the game tonight, give yourself time. It's a little tough to get sort of parking and into the building can be a bit of a bit of a tough go when it's as busy as I would expect to be tonight. So good on you guys for getting out there early. Well played. A hundred percent. But you know, just getting in on the on the Canucks here quickly. Um, you know, they're they're still winless in preseason. <laughs> Woodley, it, it hasn't looked pretty. Uh, really, 
for much of any time during this preseason so far. And tonight they'll have what is closest to their opening night lineup that we've seen. But uh, do you have a level of concern for, for how the Canucks have played to this point in preseason? I honestly, I don't see how you can't to some extent. Um, yes, it's just preseason and they could flip the switch and everything could be fine. But, you know, when we look at the lack of defending, uh, even in the one home game uh, where they where they did dress a better lineup, like the amount of second chance opportunities in the home plate area in and around Thatcher Demko in that first one against Calgary, um, you know, like they're or sorry, that was the uh, the Seattle game. Like it, both, they just there hasn't been a cohesiveness, an execution, a discipline defensively. All the things that we heard were going to be better. Um, let me ask you this: You guys, I talked about you guys getting out there early. Is the team out there? Not like, yet. <laughs> no, like honestly, like like think about this, right? Like this is good for Abbotsford, but like this whole camp, like we're going what we're going to UBC for practice. They mm-hmm. they did UBC morning skate, not even in their own building because of the renovations. I would imagine that's the reason for it. Yeah. And now they're like they're the home team tonight. Edmonton's been out in the valley for what two days now. Mm-hmm. Um, did a little fishing yesterday, a little team bonding. The Canucks are, like, what, dressing and driving to UBC and then uh, heading out. Like, it just, I don't know. They flew on game day to Edmonton the other day. Well, uh, that's that's not uncommon for the preseason, right? Like, yeah. that's not uncommon. Seattle flew up here on game day. I would imagine we see Arizona do the same thing on Friday, so that's not un- uncommon. I just feel like in a season where there's so much focus on getting off to a great start, um, whether it's the experimentation with Hughes on the right side and what that does to the rest of your defensive depth, whether it's the fact that they're not even practicing in their own building. Um, you know, and, and again, like, like from a media standpoint, I hate the Renos because after two years of not being allowed in the room, we're supposed to be this year and we haven't been, including the visiting room. So selfishly, I'm a, maybe I'm just a little bitter about it. But I start to wonder if, you know, the fact that they're, they're just – they are all over the place, literally, as a team right now. And when I watch them play on the ice, I think some of that shows up. And you've got two days and a week to fix it. And as much as some of these evenings, uh, a lot of it is just about lineup. The other night in Edmonton certainly was, was a lot about lineup. But it wasn't all. You can still execute. You can still be hard to play against defensively. How many odd-ran rushes did they give up? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like when you're overmatched, isn't that when you normally tighten up? Isn't that normally when those habits matter more? And so this sounds, and I'm probably, be, I'm probably overreacting. And if they start strong on the road, none of this is a problem. But I think there's enough signs to worry you beyond just the results. It's why the results are happening, and at times who they're happening against, that increases to a degree your level of concern. I don't think you can just write this off as just preseason, because this is when they need to build the habits to have a good start to the season. And we haven't really seen that. Well, you know what? Like, it's, it's, it's so funny because my reaction the first couple of preseason games, like, yeah, whatever, I don't care about preseason. But then when I talk to some people with the team, they seemed far more upset or concerned about or, like, they're not liking what they were seeing. I mean, especially when you hear Boudreaux talk about it, Rutherford talk about it. So, I mean, as much as the media is, you know, dis- discussing these things and talking about preseason not being impressive yet, and easy for us to generally just say, hey, it doesn't matter. But I think these signs are things that are somewhat concerning, or at least things that the organization is like, all right, we really need this to look a lot better. Like, what else do we have to do long term for us to show up and have the right mindset right off the bat? Because for all this talk about the right mindset in Whistler, 
that same type of vibe doesn't seem to be going on in the preseason. Yeah, no, and, and, and I think part of what you said there is, you know, not to sound like a coach, but like it, it's not necessarily the results. Like if you go out there with a lesser lineup and you lose a tight game, you're not worried about the wins or losses because those don't matter. Mm-hmm. But the process does. And, again, for a team that needs to have the process dialed in as they, again, because of the renovation, start the season on the road for five straight, like it's, this isn't the New York Islanders being away from home for as long as, you know, what, 20-some-odd games last year. But it's a tough start to start on the road. And, again, there's so much focus on a good start this season, and we heard so much talk about how important it is, the inability to, to seemingly dial in the process and the work rate defensively, the effort for a team that pledged to be better in those areas, um, you know, maybe a little hyperbole to say it's a huge level of concern. But I, I think if you're not looking at it with a little concern, as, as you said, sounds like you're talking to people in the organization that have concerns. So I think it's fair for us too as well because it just, it just hasn't looked, again, much like the whole organization right now. Um, all over the place, in and out of buildings, practicing what? Burnaby, Rogers, UBC, playing in Abbotsford. It just feels like they're a little all over the place right now as a team, too. Kevin Woodley, our guest. So uh, the Canucks uh, have gotten down to their, their top two goaltender. Spencer Martin's going to get the start uh, here in Abbotsford tonight. Uh, Colin Delia was sent down yesterday, does pass through waivers, goes unclaimed. Um, you know, what did you see out of Delia here, and, and what does this mean for the, the Canucks goalie depth chart now? I mean, the fact he gets through just gives you a lot better options, right? We talked about this. I know there was you know some talk even from Bruce about the backup job being an open competition, um, but I think it was pretty set from the beginning unless Spencer really stubbed his toe or Colin just lit it up in the preseason. Nothing was changing. And so being able to get him through, and not all teams have been able to get their goalies through, and that can really cause you fits in terms of your depth chart when it happens. Like, this allows them to have the depth chart they envisioned. Um, maybe, maybe it frees them up to make a Michael DiPietro trade. I'm not sure. Maybe that, you know, I still feel like if the offers have very little value in return, why would you compromise your depth? But at least now knowing that you've gotten Colin through and you have three, uh, versus if you traded him and lost Colin on waivers, that would have been a bit of a disaster. At least, at least there's that. Um, not surprised he got through. You know, I, I look at some of the some of the options on waivers. Obviously, Ottawa, um, you know, made a move the other day because of an injury. The fact there's not a lot of other injuries around the league, um, like the timing was just really good. And sometimes there's a little bit of fortune there, like when. Seattle put Magnus Helberg on waivers. Nobody knew that Cam Talbot was going to miss five to seven, right? So you got to get a little lucky there. But I also feel like there's some other options that I would have higher on the list, just you know, statistically. In terms of Delia's play, I think it's kind of, to be honest with you, exactly what we thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Um, there were times in that game in Edmonton, and he sure as hell didn't get a lot of help in front of him. Yeah. But where he looked a little in between, uh, where he was into a wide stance and you know, sort of that you know, hold edges and push strong from one spot to the other type of play rather than keeping his feet a little narrower or a little under him. I look at, you know, to me the ultimate example of it is the the two-on-one goal. And what a shot by Dylan Holloway. But watch how, how Colin plays that. Mm. It's a two-on-one, so you have to have a little bit of backwards flow in, in, in your game. 
but the way he sort of glides back in a straight line in a, and, and, and sort of widens out his stance as he does, like you've seen, we've talked about this with all the goalies, getting used to sort of the short shuffles and staying on angle as you retreat, which is hard to do as a goalie. If you glide back in a straight line like Colin did on that play, you lose angle the closer it gets to the goal line, right? Like Because you're gliding in a straight line, flat and sort of parallel to the goal line, maybe slightly off that angle, the closer it gets, the further down, the more you're off angle, whereas little short shuffles allow you to sort of maintain angle as you retreat with the play. And because he sort of played it, you know, what I would say his, the old way, because I would imagine they're trying to change that, that would just as they have with every other goaltender, including Ty Young in, in the development camp, um, you can see that as he gets down near the goal line, even though he's in an overlap, he's a big body and he's in an overlap on the outside post, he's totally flat and off angle. And that's, to me, that's a tendency that I know they have worked on and will try and change. And there in the heat of the moment in a game, you go back to the old way of doing things. And again, hat tip to Holloway for a hell of a shot, but you're not square on him. That's when that puck goes in is when you're not square on him. And you could say, oh, he was cheating to the, maybe cheating for the pass, and maybe, maybe there's an element of that. But the way he retreated sort of ensured that he couldn't be set, well, set. He couldn't be square on Holloway as he got deeper into the zone because he was gliding back in a straight line rather than sort of shuffling and keeping angle as the play got sharper to the goal line. Well, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but last year Spencer Martin didn't look the same that he looked when he got called up in training camp. Like it took him a while to figure this stuff out too, with with Ian Clark and Curtis Sanford at the time, and it, we didn't really notice, you know, how good he looked until he got called up a bit later in the season. So, I mean, if you give Colin Delia two or three months or whatever, and the Canucks need to call him up, uh, would you bet on seeing a, an improved version of him? Yeah, I, I would. Now, there's a couple different factors here. Every goalie's different, and here's the thing: like Spencer really brought bought in last year and i had this conversation with curtis sanford at the time like he used to i would go out to abbotsford when he wasn't playing wasn't starting and the amount of work he was putting in like it was a lot and you sort of had to it's a slow process you can't expect and and you know curtis talked about making spencer you know sort of give himself a break on on stuff and and not you know this not going to happen overnight and you sort of got to trust the process and understand it will take time um the other difference, too, is Curtis isn't there, right? Like, this is new to Marco Terranius as well. And some of these coaching elements are new to him as well. So that might, I don't say it slow the process, because I don't think that's necessarily true, but it's an added factor when we're comparing the two in the process that Colin's going through. It's not the same coach. It's not Curtis Sanford, who is in his third or fourth year with Ian Clark and, and knows all these things, like, innately, and also has, a you know, played in the NHL reputation. So, um, they're going to have to work through this. I was going to say as a duo, Marco and Colin, but I think I think it really is more than that. Like I think that's why you have a department, and and because I think Ian will be involved in it, right? And making sure that those details, like how we retreat on a rush play, um, continue to get worked on, rather than just accepting that hey, this guy does it this way, and we're just going to let him do it that way. You saw the results the other night. That's why they do it different here, and he'll have to work to get comfortable with that. So uh, we learned that Thatcher Demko did have uh, off-season surgery. Um, is that a concern at all for a, for a workhorse number one for a guy that we expect to play close to sixty or maybe even a few more than sixty appearances this year? Uh, I mean, anytime, anytime an athlete has 
a procedure, as he called it, uh, in Ian McIntyre's column. Um, credit to Ian for breaking the news. Yeah, you're a little bit nervous. My understanding throughout has been that this wasn't necessarily a wear and tear thing. This was, you know, <laughs> excuse me, guys, goalies getting into a position that's hard on the body, and sometimes a piece of the body gives out, right? Like, this was a goalie injury thing. Yeah. And so, like... Of course you're concerned. Like, it's not a great thing, right, that you're, the guy you're going to lean on so heavily is coming off of a surgery. But I don't think there's any feeling that, like, it was something that was coming because he was overworked. There's no sense of, man, if we had just played this guy a little less, this wouldn't have happened. It was an incident that could happen to any goalie in any game kind of thing. You know, like, these injuries are going to happen. Uh, <laughs> excuse me, guys. My apologies. Um but I don't think it's, uh, oh, man, we can't play this guy as much because this could happen again type of situation, if that makes sense to you, the way I'm trying to explain it. it's Yeah, of course you're concerned. Your number one goalie didn't get through his first season as a number one goalie without needing a procedure, needing surgery. But again, it's not because of the games played. You don't back off of him. This could happen in game 20. It could have happened in game 20 last year. It wasn't from all the accounts and the people I've talked to, including a little bit with Thatcher himself, this wasn't a wear and tear thing where they're going to have to change their approach to his minutes because of it. Any goalie runs the risk of getting this injury. Um, it's actually not that all, all that uncommon from a goalie perspective. Well, that's actually encouraging, you know, him coming off that injury and hearing about everything that happened and, you know, knowing that, okay, it's nothing to be really worried about long-term. Now, before we let you go, just quickly on Spencer Martin, there's some sense that maybe they haven't been impressed by him. Maybe he has been impressive. It's hard for me to really gauge the goaltending sometimes, but what do you make of Spencer Martin's preseason? And, you know, he is getting the start against the Oilers and Abbey. Yeah, no, I, I mean, we haven't seen much, right? Like, we just haven't seen a lot of it. And, you know, the one goal I think he'd like back, he recovers to his feet, guy throws it at the net and catches him in a bad moment. I think, you know, again, when you watch, those are the details. Like, you know, where that puck went off the first save, recovering to your feet is probably not your best option. They probably should do what they call a zigzag recovery in that case where they push back inside the post and then quickly push into the post. That way, if somebody does bank it, it's probably banking out off you rather than in off you like it did. So, But I, I liked everything else I saw in that game. Don't have a lot of concerns with what I've seen in practice. I mean, it's always tough when you're practicing next to Thatcher Demko. Does Spencer Martin look as fast as Thatcher Demko? No. Does he look as dynamic athletically? No. But he's got a system that he really trusts, that he's worked hard on, um, and he's executing a lot of the elements within that system to the point where, you know, again, 950 last year, probably not sustainable for any goalie, obviously. Um, but there's, there's a lot of positives there, and I think there's a trust there in the system he's being asked to play and a belief that it will work for him. And that's all you can ask for going into a season. Like a real, he has a confidence in his game and where it's at. And I think they have a, a certain level of confidence in him. And so, you know, hopefully they can tidy up some things defensively in front of them. We'll see what, see what that looks like tonight. Um, and, and, you know, I think he has every chance to, you know, provide the type of 20-plus game relief that this team's going to need behind Thatcher Demko this year. Uh, last thing, uh, season starts on the weekend with the games over in, uh, in, in Slovakia. Do you have a uh, Vesna candidate for the year that you'd like to shout out? 
Well, I mean, the easy easy money is going to say to Igor Shosturkin. Like, that's the obvious one. And, and yeah. frankly, if I, if I had to put money on it, it would be there. But I, I, I just have a sense that people, and I actually saw somebody else use this name too. I don't know that enough people realize how good Ilya Sorokin is for the Islanders. And for the second half of last season, was actually the best goalie in the National Hockey League. So, like, I think there's a group that could get, like, like I have Thatcher Demko in that group of guys who I think are strong Vezina candidates going into this season. But I think Sorokin is a name that I just don't hear enough. Like, if I was doing a hockey pool looking for a late-round goalie, you know, everybody thinks, oh, it's a tandem with Barlamov. And Barlamov's a hell of a goalie. He's got to, you know, like, he probably should have a Vezina himself the year that Tukarask won it. But the reality is Sorokin is not just really good. He's one of the top two or three goalies in the NHL. And so he's easily a name that I could see at the end of the year, us talking about not just being a Vesna candidate, but a Vesna favorite. And man, that says a lot about where Russians goaltending is at. If we can, we can go from Vasilevsky being the best of the world to Shesterkin to maybe another guy in Sorokin making the same argument this year. Hey, Woodley, we appreciate the time as always. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Sorry about the voice, guys. You're playing hurt, man. All see, that's good. a dedication people need to show in the preseason. <laughs> that's right. Back check and play hurt. But maybe right. don't bring COVID to the ring. So that's why I'm not there tonight. Boy. Uh, well, we hope you feel better there. Uh, there is uh, Kevin Woodley, who joins us every Wednesday on uh, on Canucks Central and some great insights. And, you know, uh, a little bit of insight on, on Thatcher Demko and, and of course, the, uh, the, the off-season surgery he had. It's... Um, He's going to play 55, 60 games. And the first time he did it, he ended up needing a procedure at the end of the year. Should you be overly concerned about that? Probably not. I mean, Demko's looked every bit as good so far in preseason as we saw him at any point last year. I'm not... uh, Yeah, it's... Hey, you could have it as a part of the conversation, but I'm not worried about Thatcher Demko this year. He's way down the the list of worrying things for the Vancouver Canucks. I'm not worried about him at all. But the one thing he does you know, have to show, and it's something he talked about, it's it's great to have one really good season, a great season, your first year as a full starter in an 82-game year. Yeah. But do you do it two years in a row? And can you make your game better? And can you stay in that conversation as one of the top three or four goalies in the league or top five goalies in the league where he, where he was kind of in the discussion of last year. So, you know, as much as I'm not worried, it's not an easy thing. I think we also have to, you know, admit or at least acknowledge that him having back-to-back years as a top-five goalie in the league is a very difficult thing to do, and only the absolute elite goalies in the league can be that good year in and year out. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of good reaction on the Dunbar-Lumber text line, uh, especially to an analogy I made. <laughs> Earlier in the show with Christian Willannon. You're getting uh, called. Canuck Clay called you out on Twitter, too. He did. So the analogy, I said, well, like, the Canucks lineup the other night wasn't, you know, what would we expect to be close to their opening night lineup. And Willannon played as their number one defenseman. So it was kind of like, you know, Willannon is, uh, you know, newly single. And he goes to the bar and he invites all of his ugly friends so that he looks like an eight rather than a... <laughs> Five. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, now uh, Clay is saying, hey, Dan, in your analogy, inviting your friends to the bar example, are you usually the inviter or the invitee? <laughs> 
That's a really good point. Man, Dan knows from experience. Man, Clay, just like (laughs) taking the knife and digging it in. Oh, people calling you out on Twitter. I mean, on our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, too. Tambier says, Dan, you're a terrible friend. A real friend never says he has ugly friends. Shame (laughs) on you. Uh, and, and Terry, it was an allergy. Who, who, like, I never said it was, it was something your I've friends. done right. in the past. Terry and Langley, bold of you to assume you're not the one of the fours making your buddies look good. <laughs> Terry, why? If you surround yourself with fours, you will be perceived as a four. <laughs> yeah, you are who you associate yourself with. <laughs> uh, Canuck Central, Dan Richo and Satyar Shaw. Coming up, more from the rink. We are live on location in the Kintec studio at the Abbotsford Center. Canucks and Edmonton Oilers, the penultimate preseason matchup for Vancouver here tonight. More next on Sportsnet 650. Canucks Central, live on location in the Kintec studio at the Abbotsford Center. Uh, as uh, the Kintec Studios on the road, Canucks and Edmonton Oilers here at the Abbotsford Center. Hour two of the program is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited. Your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. Dan Richo and Satyar Shaw. Shouts to our guy, Ken. Ken? Yeah, here, uh, head chef here at the Abbotsford Center. Oh, is he the one bringing us food? Mm-hmm. Making sure that we are well-fed? Yeah, he's like, yeah, I, I went to use the washroom. He stopped. He's like, hey, are you being taken care of or what? I'm like, yeah, man, pizza's <laughs> supposed to come. Has anybody at the Abbotsford Center <laughs> not offered to feed Sat yet? I feel right at home. By the way, if you are coming to the game tonight, make sure you uh, find us here on the concourse or wherever we might be. We might have to move around a little bit. Yeah, in the lead-up to puck drop. Yeah. Um, dealing with some logistics, as it were leading into the game this evening. But, um, you know, there's there's been some really, um, you know, we, we just talked about it with, with Woodley. And, you know, the Canucks preseason hasn't been great. They've been all over the place. Mm-hmm. There's been a couple of off-ice stories that aren't great and have taken some spotlight. Obviously... The team hasn't had a win yet. So, like, there's been – you go back a couple of weeks to training camp in Whistler, yeah. and it's like a lot of positive vibes. That really hasn't carried through here in preseason. But, you know, I think not much has really changed from my perspective on, you know, what this team needs to have success this season, Sat. Mm-hmm. More than anything – what the preseason has showed me is the defense is ultimately going to be their biggest concern this year. Not just, you know, who plays defense, but team defense has still been an issue for this group. The amount of chances, where they're giving up chances, has still been an issue for them here in preseason. It has, and you know... it's, it's hard to play exactly the way you want all the time in the preseason because of your rosters and games and, you know, especially like when guys are traveling on the same day and stuff like that, you see, yeah. you know, they're, they're not always sharp to start off games. To be honest, like, I did think 
the last game, even though they you know ended up being a 7-2 score, for about 50-55 minutes of that game, the Canucks did a pretty good job of moving the puck. You know, they did a good job of getting it out of their own zone, a lot more controlled exits, and it was a lot more seamless in how they played. And with that being, you know, essentially a AHL roster where Christian Wolanin being your best defenseman playing in that game, essentially, I think that is a bit of a positive because you would hope that the guys that, you know, are above these players, even though, you know, people do find some faults in guys like Tyler Myers, they're still better than those players that are playing. Can they do that? Can they do some of those things? And, and that's one thing I want to see here tonight. It's like, we have concerns, we have issues, and there are things we want to see, but it's not too late to start exhibiting those those qualities and habits leading into the season. And essentially tonight, you kind of have to start seeing those things a bit more, especially with a roster that's going to be pretty close to what you're addressing on the first game of the season. First time uh, tonight uh, in this preseason where Miller, Horvat, and Pedersen are all expected to be in the lineup. Also the first time this preseason that... Hughes, OEL, and Myers are all expected to be in the lineup. Spencer Martin is to take uh, the start in goal for this one, the penultimate game of the preseason. Now I look at it and, okay, so what needs to break right for the Canucks this season, Sad? You know, if they are going to, as their own team-stated goal, make the playoffs... Coach Boudreaux saying it would be a disaster if this team doesn't make the playoffs. What needs to break right for this club? Like, What are the things that they need to have happen for them to reach their goals? Really, I'm going to boil it down to two things. I mean, the health, stay healthy, of course. Every I mean, team needs that. Every yes. team needs that. So we don't need to bother with that, although we just did. <laughs> um, Pedersen? OEL. So you're saying essentially the two most important players on this roster. Yeah. Number one is Elias Pettersson. Yeah. Number two is Oliver Ekman Larson. Yeah. Like who's your Pettersson, if he plays at the superstar level he might be capable of or gets close to it and takes another step, that just gives this team a whole nother level of boost, right? And if Oliver Ekman Larson can be better than he was last year, and now you have one bona fide number one defenseman and a guy that, okay, is even better than what he showed past year. I think that makes the biggest impact. We talk about marginal impacts and all those things you got to do, and of course that has to work out. But stuff that carries and moves your team is your top end, your best players being able to play at that level. And that's what you need more than anything else. So OEL played. We, we talked a lot about Pedersen yesterday. We did some over-unders on hour two of the podcast yesterday and you know what those look like for the Canucks. You can check that out on your favorite podcatcher. Subscribe. That way you never miss an edition of Canucks Central. But... OEL provided, like what? He, he played like a four and a half, maybe $5 million defenseman last year for this team. Is there any way OEL gets closer to being the $7 million defenseman that he is on the books? And what does that look like? There's a pathway to it. To me, it's, it's a simple breakdown. Get over 35 points. 35 points... Be just be- a bit better and ha- don't have the awkward transition initially. So he's got to maintain initially. like what he brought defensively last year. A bit better, I-, I think. What he maintains what he did defensively. Maybe don't have the little transition awkwardness at times or whatever. He'll he should be more confident and more settled in in his second season in Vancouver. And I think one thing that you can't 
dismiss for a player like him, especially a guy who was a captain and a leader, and a guy who came in initially and essentially said, hey, I'll do whatever you guys need. I'm going to fit into the room here. I'll be in the background and kind of blend in as time goes on. I get the sense that he's going to have a bigger role and, and, and he's going to have a bigger presence on the team. I think that's going to help him get settled in a bit more. But I, I just see him, if he's able to contribute a bit more offensively, then maybe he's worth six, six and a half million. Maybe not the 7.2, but if you're getting, you know, 35 plus points and you're playing a bit better and more steady throughout the course of the year, it's not that big of a, it's not that much more you need to take that jump. It's not that big of a jump either. You had 29 points last year, so to ask for six more points, a couple more goals, you know. The, the, and people wonder, it's like, hey, well, you're only talking about six points, a couple more goals, a little steadier, but that difference might end up being like seven or eight goals on the season for your team, and is yeah. that two more wins? And two more be. wins is 95 points. You were a 90, 92-point team last year, 96 points. Yep. As I've uh, mentioned on a few occasions, you know, the, the, the team with the fewest amount of goals scored in the postseason last year was 254. That was the Boston Bruins, and the Canucks scored 247. So if we're talking about eight more goals, 15 more goals, I think the bar is, like for playoff teams, you want to be in the playoffs, you got to get to 270 goals. You know, that's that's especially if you can defend at an average rate. You know, if you score 270 mm-hmm. goals, you're probably getting to the postseason. Yes. Um, that, that, that is generally a, a mark that you can feel confident about. Can this team get there? So for me, it, it does look a little bit different. What needs to break right? I think it is some offensive things. Like they need to maintain a very strong power play. And by that, I mean... 25%. Yeah. Like, I, I think we talked about this the other day. Their floor is probably around 20 21% as a power play unit. Can they be above 25% and be essentially a top five power play unit in the league this year? That helps them get to the postseason. The other half of special teams... Don't be a bottom feeder on the penalty kill. <laughs> yeah, the PK is a big, big one. It seems so obvious, but special teams are a huge part. And I don't think this team is selling themselves any lies that they are going to be this like juggernaut at 5-on-5. Five five. Yeah. I think they, they realize that they've got to be good on special teams. They expect the power play to be really good. Is it too much to ask for the PK to be much better than... You know, top half of the league. Oof. Like I, I don't know. I don't know, I, I don't, I don't I don't know about top half. I don't know better than top half of the yeah, league. Yeah, I, I don't see them being uh, being able to get to a top ten PK this year. I mean, could they? Of course, they can go through stretches. Sure, they, and maybe they do. Great goaltending, and they're a bit better. They're more improved. But I think realistically, you go from being, say, a eighty percent, eighty one percent PK team, whatever it was, seventy nine, eighty percent, or whatever it was, get up to about eighty five, eighty six. Yeah. You get to eighty five percent, and you have about a twenty five percent power play. Yeah. Okay. Now, now you're on to something. You know what I mean? Now, now you got something you can actually work with a little bit. So you kind of have to be in that. Don't be in the bottom twenty, bottom ten. Yeah. If you, st- you know, great. I love to see you guys play in the top ten of PKs and be in that discussion. How about we start with getting out of the bottom ten? Yeah. And they were in bottom three last year, second to last or third to last by the time they got up a little bit, but still not very good. You know, get out of the top five is an improvement, given how low they were. But stay out of the bottom ten. Stay out of the bottom ten of PKs in the league. So I don't expect 
this team to be able to be as high as they were in goals against like as they were last year. You know what? They they, they were, could be better defensively this upcoming season and be a better team and give up more goals. Yes. They were second Best, second. second in the league when since Boudreaux took over. Yeah. Only the Minnesota Wild allowed fewer goals than the Vancouver Canucks after Boudreaux took over the team. Some of it was, yeah, they played a little bit better. They controlled play a little bit more. They controlled scoring chances a little bit more. Ultimately, though, they had the best five-on-five save percentage in the league. Yeah. So, kind of matters. Expecting some level of regression on that front, but also playing better defensively. Maybe you end up still being around, you know, the 10, 11, 12 range uh, goals against. Anything in the top 15 over the course of the whole 82-game season set, I think would be a win for this Canucks. Like, if they're able to do that, they they probably make the playoffs for me. It really comes down to your goal differential. You know, we get so caught up in goals against, goals for, whatever. How big is your differential? You know, like, if, if you give up a lot, but you score a lot, and you considerably outscore yeah. what you give Bruins up. Bruins didn't score a lot, but they also don't give up much. So, hey, you got a positive differential. So, that differential being good. I mean, the Canucks were a positive differential team by the end of the last season. They were over 90 points. And usually, if you're a plus 90-point team, you are going to have a positive differential. But, you know, can you grow that out a little bit? And it, that's what I find so interesting about this team because part of it comes down to being able to generate more scoring chances and quality scoring chances. And sometimes, if you do, you might still be be giving up some more quality so by the end of the season we might look at it and say well the Canucks are actually giving up as many scoring chances as they did last year but they're creating a lot more scoring chances so when you look at you know actual you know uh, distribution of what's happening on the ice your rates are going to be better if you can create a little bit more even and part of the issue here is you're not going to be able to turn this team into a top 10 defensive, stout, one of the best checking defensively organized teams in the league. That's probably not going to happen. You know, so this team isn't built to be that way. So I think you got to kind of lean into how do we generate more. Those are, um, like the, that is a really interesting part of the game for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, the first, we talked about this so much last year, but, you know, the, the coaching staff, it had felt like, focused so much on what the team couldn't do that they almost forgot what they did well, you know. And in that process, um, they tried to play an ultra-defensive game, an ultra-conservative game, and it sort of neutered the offense where, like, you don't have to be a smart hockey person to see where the talent is on this Canucks team set. Mm-hmm. It's up front. Uh, let the boys go out and play to a certain extent. Now you've got Pedersen and Kuzmenko. You've got uh, you know, the Miller-Pearson duo worked really well for this team last year. I think they expect it to work well again this year. Horvat, we've talked about. You, know, you can book him in for essentially 25 goals and 50 points no matter whom you're playing him with. So... The setup is there for them to score. Um, it's just can this team weather you know, weather storms better than they did last year? Can they find their way through slumps? What's that thing that keeps you from going two and eight over the course of a ten game period mm-hmm. to you know four five and one? 
right, which is essentially 500. That's going to be that would be a big a big win for this team if they can weather those uh, weather those slumps. Well, you know, you are going to have those slumps. Just you can't let a slump go get to 25 games. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> that's essentially Seems so it. simple. It is, and you know, we 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 were, we were so critical of the team uh, under even under Boudreaux during that spell. Um, at home ice uh, when they lost to Detroit and lost to Buffalo, and it essentially sunk their return up. And it's like, yeah, they had like a you know 10-game stretch where they were 500 or slightly below. And it's like, that's okay. Yeah. That's going to happen. And maybe that wouldn't sting as much if you don't have those horrible 25 games. And part of that comes down to something we discussed, and Michelle asked us the question to, you know, what do you think, you know, a big change is and, and what's going to make it look a lot better? As pizza gets dropped off, I am so thankful. Oh. Thank you so much. This, yeah, no, uh, yeah, we're gentleman. good. We're good. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Panigo dropping off food. Yeah, these guys are the best. Uh, Shouts to Ken. Ooh, oh man. What, what are we? Oh, what are we man. talking about here? All right. Well, you know what? I'm not. You know what? Uh, it's it's good. It's good. It's very good. <laughs> it's, in, it's, it's it looks excellent. No anchovies. No anchovies. Come on, man. What do you think? Okay. No anchovies. What is your favorite pizza topping and least favorite pizza topping? I'm probably uh, I'm probably a Canadian guy. Yeah. Oh, or like, or just like so a, what? Like uh, pepperoni, bacon. Oh, and actually, no, mushrooms? no, no, no. I just mean uh, maybe a, maybe what is called the the deluxe. So basically, just I like pepperoni, mushrooms, and green peppers. That's like that trio is like my favorite trio. That's your trio. That's my trio. Get a little bit of meat. Get a little bit of veg. A little meat, a little veg, and you're good. A little cheese. A little cheese. I don't mind pineapple either. I like pineapple. <laughs> Are you just saying that to trigger me? Or? Oh, I like pineapple. Why? 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 Pineapple's tasty. Why? Because it's good. I don't know. What do you want me to say? I mean, yeah, pineapple's fine, but not on pizza. It's fine on pizza. Oh, my God. Oh, food snob. Not, I'm not going to have this conversation. I'm totally going to have It's like have hot dog is a sandwich sort of stuff. Listen, you know what a sandwich, a definition of a sandwich is? Filling between a bun. <laughs> <laughs> By definition, a hot dog's a sandwich. Okay. <laughs> I didn't make up the language. I'm just reacting to it. All right. <laughs> People hate me for this, but I like. I, I love the simplicity of just like a, a margarita pizza, you know. Oh, man! And you know, margaritas are fantastic. Yeah, if you can get, if you can find a good margarita pizza, you know that's a that's a solid pizza joint. Good margarita pizza and, and have a little basil on it. Yep, you know that's that's especially good. Uh, Silver and black Canuck. This will piss off Dan, but the ultimate pizza trio is bacon, pepperoni, and pineapple together. Until you try it, you can't knock it. That is a lie. <laughs> It's not like it's. It's just factually, it is not. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of with, with silver and black Canuck. Daniel, what Daniel and Comox filling between a bun? Got to be a better way to say that. <laughs> Why? What are you talking about? I'm talking about sandwiches here, guys. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like all-time favorite pizza <laughs> topping. Fight me, Dan. It's true. I mean. I, I'm a big fan of like some prosciutto. You know, I love me, I love me a little bit of prosciutto. My uh, prosciutto is good. I don't mind prosciutto. Prosciutto is pretty good. Uh, Matt from Abbey in New West. A human is a mammal, no matter how special we think we are. Similar to a whale, a hot dog is a sandwich. This is just a different branch of the category. Okay. Wow, I like that. I like that. That's that's smart. <laughs> it's deep. I like it. <laughs> Comparing humans and mammals. Jay, the Amazon delivery guy, with a fact. Yeah. If Dan ate pineapple, he would be taller. 
<laughs> if he had pineapple on pizza, he'd be tall. <laughs> Why? Is there, is there some kind of study that uh, that says pineapple, <laughs> like eating pineapple, leads to uh, leads to uh, height growth? Potentially, oh. the chemical compounds coalesce in pineapple. <laughs> you know what? I was always told like uh, coffee stunts your growth, so that would make a lot of sense. Really? Uh, I mean, when did you start drinking coffee? Man, like were you like twelve? I don't know. You'd have a little bit of espresso when you're like seven or eight, you know. Seven? What? Whoa! Time out. Wait. You have a little set of espresso when you're seven or eight? No, why not? When you're seven or eight? I mean, it's espresso. It's Bro, like, you can't give it. You can't give a kid a little sugar. They're gonna go nuts. No, there's no sugar in it. It's just like a, you know, like. Oh, yeah, I'm sure caffeine's a lot better like, for children. You know, they'd make it in the in the mocha, and then you know, just pour me a little because. I'd I'd want to like copy my dad, right? Who was always having the espresso. So he'd just like pour a little bit in the cup, f- fill most of the cup with milk, give me like a drop of coffee, and that's that's how I would have my uh, my espresso when I was seven seven years old. So basically, just like just gradually getting you addicted to caffeine <laughs> at a young age. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow, I mean, this always happens, but the pineapple conversation on pizza—it's insane. People, everybody's got thoughts. Cam likes pineapple on pizza. I like pineapple on pizza. Dan's the only one right now that doesn't like pineapple How on pizza. How often did you have pineapple on pizza in Italy, Cam? Once? Oh. I'm so disappointed. Uh, Pricer, just placed my usual order on pizza. Pepperoni, banana peppers, and olives. You know, <laughs> olives, also underrated topping on pizza. Olives are, olives are decent. It's got to be the right olives, though. I was, like... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Do not read uh, Dan from Van's text. Anchovies on uh, on pizza are not not great. You ever had an anchovy on a pizza? Uh, I'm not an anchovies guy in general. No, not not a fan of anchovies on pizza. Yeah. What do I do? I look like a teenage mutant ninja turtle. <laughs> anchovies on pizza. That's what we've gotten to. It's uh, Dan Richo and Satsi Shaw. Canucks and Edmonton Oilers tonight. Uh, we do have a question here. Who are the Oilers? Icing tonight. Jake Vertanen. Yep. He's on the fourth line, it looks like. And Connor think, McDavid's playing, too. What would you think of Vertanen's game the other night? Trash. Was not very good. <laughs> no. I mean, and I'm not trying to be mean. I just, he, he wasn't good. Yeah. He hasn't been good in the preseason. And we haven't been watching every single preseason game, but, you know, even those watching and, and keeping tabs haven't liked him. And to be fair, like, the last game probably was one of his better games. He got an assist. I think one of the full goal goals, he got a pass over to it. But largely ineffective. The Oilers in general were just kind of going through the paces for the most part in that game to turn it up in the final five or six minutes and really laid it on the Canucks. But nothing's really happened yet, or you haven't seen anything from Jake to sit here and say, okay, he's got an inside track to be on this team. And like I mentioned before... The penalty he took was awful. I mean, Yeah, it was terrible. But but here's that, that's nothing new. And if they keep him, it's what I mentioned a few shows ago. I've heard Ken Holland has always had some level of interest interest in Jake Vertanen. This goes back even to when there was some level of trade talks with the teams at some point some years ago, or at least some level of discussion about things. So if they sign him, it's because they believe that with some time being in that environment and working closely with them, they can get more out of him. Because so far, he hasn't really shown anything to earn a spot on the roster. It's, um, it's an interesting Oilers team. Uh, one one other thing I wanted to get to just before we uh, we we get out for this segment. Um, the Athletic finished their season previews today. Sat we oh, talked yeah. about what they did with the the Canucks, uh, mm-hmm. ranked them in the the low teens. 
the Maple Leafs were number one mm-hmm. in their season preview. And uh, the Calgary Flames were number two. So the Flames, who just lost Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk, are better than they were a year ago, you know according what, for, to The Athletic. From the analytical pro, um, projections, it doesn't shock me necessarily because adding Kadri, who's such a good two-way force and his metrics are so positive, it does kind of mitigate losing Kachuk a little bit. Getting Huberto does mitigate losing um, uh, Goudreau a little bit. But also getting McKenzie Weaker on that back end, he's considered analytically one of the best defensemen in the league. That's going to be a massive boost, especially as a right-handed defense, right-handed defenseman who are rare to find. He's going to give you a lot of value. So I'm not shocked that analytically they have a really nice model with a big projection. I'm just not sure that functionally they'll actually be that good. And same thing with the Leafs. I mean, that's a lot of faith in a team that doesn't get out of the first round in the playoffs. I know the regular season isn't the playoffs, but man. It's... Uh... <laughs> 